I went to, uh, when I was at Purdue, I uh, had a friend that, who was majoring in food science. It's like, ooh, food science, that sounds a little, I don't know, something off about, about food engineering and uh, the idea of that. But uh, looking at this pumpkin, it seems that they've got onto something there with uh, <laughs> pre-bagged seeds in a pumpkin. I don't know how they pull that off, but... Um, so we're going to be in Hebrews this morning, chapter 7, and um, I want to start with uh, just asking the Lord to direct our steps here. Lord, thank you for, for your word, and thank you for your goodness to us, and, and uh, just thank you that you have... Um, by your spirit and your words of truth that you have uh, revealed yourself to us, that you have um, instructed us in your ways and you have shown us, Lord, your great love for us and a path of, of salvation and eternal life and becoming a child of God. Lord, I ask that you would direct our steps as we open your word this morning you would do as you've promised to do to lead us into all truth, that you would give us your wisdom, your understanding of it, and together, Lord, that uh, you would illuminate yourself to us, that we would catch a greater glimpse of your glory and of your, um, your compassion and, and your great um, mercy and grace that has been extended to us, uh, Lord, that, that our our hope would abound even more. Uh, our our faith would be firmed up even more, and uh, Lord, that we would be more solidified uh, in our um, just in, in our stance on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> so, um, as many of many of you know. Um, one of my sons, Kellen, and when he was a little guy, he, he learned to talk pretty quick and had a pretty inquisitive mind, and I think, uh, I think he was at like three years old when he, he was asking me something about the Trinity, and I'm like, whoa, come on, man, give me a little time here to, <laughs> but, um, but he, he, I remember there was one time where he had, he had done something, I don't even remember what it was, but he had done something, and it was one of those moments as a, as a dad where I needed to just provide some a little discipline and correction, and uh, um, and so I, I got down, and and he's you know standing there, and I'm down down like this, just looking him in the eyes, and and uh, just sharing with him, you know, that um, whatever it was, how it was, it, it was the wrong way to go, and and sharing with him, you know, of course how how I love him, and and but how how this is not appropriate, and. And kind of explain in the right way, and it wasn't a, a real long monologue or anything, but it was just kind of a seemed like a, just a heart to heart moment, you know, uh, between a father and a son. And when I got done, he just looked up in my eyes and he said, "Daddy, I can see myself in your glasses." Do you ever feel like somebody misses the point? 
I mean, I really felt like if I would have graded myself right before he talked, if I would have graded myself in that moment, I would have said, A plus, Dad. Well, you know, as we open God's Word this morning, um, what, what I want us to do is make sure that we don't miss the point. Um, because there are many passages in Scripture that introduce some things to us that um, they tickle our curiosities. And that's fine, I mean, because there's a lot of, lot of questions that we're going to have as we go through Scripture that are, are, are perfectly fine to explore, as long as we understand that there is a point to those things that are being introduced to us in Scripture, and the ultimate point is to lead us to Christ. So if a tickling of those curiosities leads us into rabbit holes that never lead us back to Christ, then, then they're, they're worthless rabbit holes for us to go down. Um, they are fruitful to explore in so much as they, they do the purpose of Scripture, which is to illuminate our Savior and our Lord. And so this is one of those passages, I, I bring that up because this is one of those passages in Hebrews 7 where we're introduced to a person that uh, shows up one time in Scripture um, in Genesis chapter 14 named Melchizedek. We don't hear about him before that. We don't hear about him after that. He shows up, and as quick as he shows up, he's gone. And uh, Hebrews 7 actually uh, brings Melchizedek up, and actually as we've gone through Hebrews, it's, he's been mentioned a couple times, so there's a stage being set here to go a little deeper into Melchizedek, but there's a purpose to it. So what we're going to do here, first of all, is um, be reminded of of how we started Hebrews. It says, Hebrews starts out long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke in many times, uh, at many times, in many ways that God has spoken previous to this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So, the, so Hebrews makes clear at the offset that while God has spoken at many times and in many ways, uh, this he has now spoken to us through his son, which is the the the, the uh, climax of all that God has been speaking through the ages and all the various means God has used to communicate, the climax is upon us where God is speaking to us now through His Son. And, in, and then when we get to chapter 2, there's this warning there that therefore we must pay attention. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. So Hebrews opens by saying God's been speaking And now he's speaking to us through his son. So let's pay very close attention to what he's saying. So now when we get through to get up to Hebrews chapter 7 and start that, it is with keeping in mind that Hebrews has already set the course by this time. And it is that that the Son of God who has been sent from heaven to earth to bear the sins of Humanity is superior in every way to to the prophets, to the to the priests that have come before. Um, he is his his message is superior. His covenant is superior. 
Um, him as a mediator to God, he is superior. Everything about Christ is superior to what has come before. And Hebrews 7 is no different. Hebrews 7 is still making that case. Still building on that. And so we're going to open up Hebrews chapter 7. And so as to not miss the point, we're going to actually deal with the whole chapter as a whole. Because as we move to, towards the end of the chapter, um, the Holy Spirit here is, is saying, here's the point. And in fact, chapter 8 kind of starts out by actually saying that. Now here's the point. So, um, so the point, I'll just give you a clue. The point is going to be in, in verse uh, 20, 25 is where we're working up to. And so as we start here with Melchizedek, there are some questions that are going to come up, and I'm not going to answer all of them. It is not my goal today to explain everything there is to be explained about Melchizedek, which isn't a whole lot. I mean, there's, there's plenty to talk about. It's just Scripture actually doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about him. And so there are, this, is, this is a really fantastic thing to, to understand in Scripture, and that is that, do you know that God says in, in Scripture that even... Even um, both the righteous uh, and the evil will serve to glorify God in the end. And so every person we encounter in Scripture, their, their ultimate purpose, whether evil or righteous, is to glorify God to us. And so as we get to Melchizedek, Melchizedek finds his purpose in glorifying God. And let's start here with, uh, with verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. All right, so pay attention to how he is uh, introduced here, or reintroduced as it were, because this would be a predominantly Jewish audience that that should uh, have at least some recollection of what happened back in Genesis 14. So Melchizedek is not completely foreign to this audience, most likely. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So again, that's Genesis 14, and I'll just I'll link a few passages here for your for your personal study um, and time in God's Word. It is a it, it is a, it is a fun connection to put together. That do you know from beginning to end, um, the scriptures are are really about the revelation of of Christ and salvation through Him. And so in Genesis 14, we have Melchizedek. Uh, Psalm 110 actually brings a little light to Melchizedek's purpose and uh, pointing forward to Messiah. And then we get here to Hebrews 7 where it really brings both of those things together. Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. And then if we were to keep going forward, when we get to Revelation 22, the very end of our scriptures, we have Jesus being revealed as Superior priest and superior king. And so uh, uh, it's a fun uh, little, uh, for me anyways, uh, just, I, I just I love to see how God's word speaks as one voice. 
And Hebrews 7 is not just its own passage, but it's fit within the fabric of all of Scripture speaking with one voice, the Word of God together. And so, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Sound like anyone you know. He is without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, there's been much made, uh, um, especially when, when not read in context, uh, of verse 3 about Melchizedek being without father, or mother, or genealogy, and having neither beginning of days nor end of life, resembling the Son of God. Now, if you don't read this in context, what you would think is, wait a minute, there's not a trinity, there's a, a four-person Godhead here. Right? If, if, he, if he has the qualities of, of God, then this is confusing. But that is not what is being proclaimed to us here. Remember, Melchizedek, the purpose of Melchizedek is ultimately, as we go through Hebrews 7, is to illuminate Christ as superior. All right, so so the, the passage here is, is coming at Melchizedek from a human point of view. Okay? So what, what do we know about Melchizedek in Genesis 14, or all the Old Testament for that matter? Not much. Not much at all. And in terms of a priest showing up on the scene to not have much information, including where he came from, his genealogy, is kind of a big deal in the Jewish world. Why? Because the priesthood follows the Levitical line. There, there is a blood succession, a family tree, that is abided by in terms of the priesthood. So for Melchizedek to appear as a priest and yet not have a genealogy is odd, to say the least. Now, it is not that he did not have a father and mother. It is that, unlike the Levitical priesthood, we don't know who they are. We're never introduced to them. It's it's like he came from nowhere. He just showed up. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows what family he belongs to, what his family tree was, how he became priest. And then along with that, not only is he a priest, but there is something very unique about this priest. He's also a king. Well, that doesn't make sense because in the Jewish mind, kings came from Judah and the, and, and the priest came from Levi. There were two different family trees. And you were either a priest or a king, but you weren't both. So Melchizedek is a very unique individual here in Scripture. And he shows up out of nowhere, and he departs, and it's like, where did he go? And so we don't even know when he was born, when he died, who his parents were, uh, what his family tree was, his genealogy. And so from a human perspective, 
He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So the scriptures are not telling us that Melchizedek is eternal. Remember, what is Melchizedek's purpose here? Illuminate Jesus. What do you know about Jesus? Jesus is eternal. And there's a big point that's going to be made about that as we go through chapter 7. So Melchizedek um, is brought up here. So he has an interaction with Abraham. You can go back and check that out in Genesis chapter 14. And the translation of his name is king of righteousness. And he's also king of Salem, which is king of peace. King of righteousness, king of peace, who is eternal. All right. So, um, and it says, resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, is this saying that Melchizedek still is, to this day, is continuing on as a priest? Well, no. Melchizedek is a man. Albeit a very unique one. Melchizedek is a man. It is not, the scriptures are not telling us here really so much about Melchizedek as it is about Jesus. All right, so he's resembling the Son of God in, in, as he continues a priest forever. What do we know about the Levite, Levitical priesthood? It was limited, in, uh, it was temp- a temporary priesthood. A priest could not serve forever uh, for two reasons. One, because there was actually an allotted time frame during their lifetime for which they were to serve. And secondly, because they weren't going to live forever. They were going to die. So they couldn't serve as priests forever. But the interesting thing about Melchizedek is from a human point of view, all right, so all right, we, we have some of these little crazy little things in our culture, right? So they're, they're and I don't care where you fall on this, I'm just throwing these out there as an example, um, there are some who say Elvis never died, right? And so it's as if he keeps on going, right? If we never, or uh, Al Capone, what happened to him, right? There's, there's all these interesting little things where we don't know um, in some of these cases. Now, I'm not commenting necessarily on either one of those, but in some cases, we don't know how a person died. They just, it's like we just never heard of them again. And so it's as if they're still out there somewhere, right? So from a human perspective, we didn't get that finality of, and this person's life ended. As it is with Melchizedek. We don't know when he was born, and there's no word about him dying, and it's like he just keeps going on as a priest forever. So this is not saying that Melchizedek is eternal, but it is using Melchizedek to, to give us uh, a, a taste of what is going to be dropped on us here in just a moment in Hebrews 7, which is that Christ is our eternal high priest. And so he resembles the Son of God. And that's an important thing to remember here, is that the example of Melchizedek, it, it is Melchizedek is like Jesus, not the other way around from a superiority standpoint, all right? Verse 4, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office, 
have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So there's no disputing that in all of Scripture that Abraham is a, uh, is a, is, is a patriarch. He is a patriarch. Even for us today as believers, we would look at Abraham as a patriarch primarily because the New Testament sets it up this way. It says those who will inherit the promise of Abraham uh, are the believers in Christ. So even, even as believers in Christ or our salvation comes through Christ, uh, there's still a way in which all this is, is coming sort of through Abraham still. The promise given to Abraham is inherited by us, and so we still see Abraham as a patriarch. And the Jewish people here see Abraham as a firm patriarch, and even greater than the Levitical priest because they get their start from Abraham. Right? There's no Levit- Levitical priesthood if there's no Abraham. And so Abraham is, in that sense, is superior to the Levitical priests even, the ones who received the tithes. And yet here we have this interesting thing where Abraham is giving tithes to Melchizedek. So what is this all about? Well, the paying the tithes is a recognition of and a submission to another's authority. So when... uh, when Abraham gives tithes to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham is recognizing that Melchizedek has, a, has an authority um, spiritually and, and even beyond that over Abraham. So Abraham submits to Melchizedek where in the Jewish mind, Abraham probably doesn't need to submit to anybody other than God, Right? Other than Yahweh, who does Abraham need to submit to? Because he is the patriarch. And yet, in Genesis 14, we see Abraham in submission to Melchizedek. That's kind of an interesting thing. Now, why is that even being brought up here? But this man who, uh, verse 6, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Whoa, did I hear that right? That Hebrews is saying that Abraham is inferior to Melchizedek. Now this is, but this man, let's see, uh, verse 7, beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the case, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, as in the case of the Levites, but in the other case, by one of them who has testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So, in other words, the Levite, Levitical priests, who were the ones who were commanded to receive tithes from the rest of, of Israel, um, they actually, it's like they paid their own tithes it's like they are in submission to Melchizedek as well. As if the Levitical priesthood is somehow inferior to the, Melchi- to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Now we're on to something. Alright, this is where it's leading here. Verse 11. 
Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? All right, so... Um, there, remember I said there's a point to... There's a point to a purpose for everyone that's mentioned in Scripture. Even the Levitical priests. While, while the Levitical priesthood in Hebrews is, is, is explained to us as being insufficient for salvation, there's still a point to it. What is the point of the Levitical system and the priests of the Levitical system? But to lead us again, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. If, if it were perfect for bringing us to, into a restored relationship with God and dealing with our sin completely, then there'd be no reason for God to send, us, send Messiah. And that's the point being made here in verse 11. Verse 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. Speaking of Melchizedek. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So, Okay, now we're starting to make the connection here between Melchizedek and Jesus in, in, in chapter 7 here. So remember, Melchizedek is introduced as he's a king and a priest of the Most High God, right? And we know that the Jews would say, um, priests are born through Levi, kings are born through Judah, right? Now, how is Christ introduced to us in Hebrews? Well, we've already gotten a flavor of this. He is introduced to us as priest for sure for sure and also as king in in that sort of vein of melchizedek and so when it says here that um, it's evident that jesus was descended from judah what does that speak to his kingship authority right all right so um so now we continue on Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life. All right, so the Levitical priests, how did they, get, how did they go into the priesthood? By being born in the right family tree, right? But how is Jesus now set apart as our great high priest? Is it by being born through, through Levi, a descendant of Levi? No, wait, it just said he's a descendant of Judah. Oh, wait a minute, that doesn't fit with this Levitical system. Exactly. Because Jesus is not a Levitical priest because he is a superior kind of a priest. His priesthood is superior. And so he, uh, it says, is, um, has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement, concerning his genealogy, but by the power of an indestructible life. We have, uh, and Melchizedek is a, is, a, 
is, gives us a foreshadowing of Jesus in, in Genesis chapter 14 because he's introduced in such a way that genealogy is not important to, to Melchizedek being a priest in Genesis 14. Why? Because Melchizedek is presented to us as one who is righteous and that his priesthood is tied to his righteousness before God, not his genealogy. And so as now Christ is illuminated to us, Christ is, is introduced here as our great high priest, not because he's born into the right family tree, but because of the very nature of who he is. Do you remember back in Hebrews chapter 1, what it says about him? It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He needed no genealogy to be worthy of being priest. So this becomes even more evident now when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life for it is witnessed of him and this quote from Psalm 110 you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek now that's, that's a unique thing so just like Melchizedek sort of came and went and nobody knows what happened to him and, sort of, and so in this mysterious way it's like he just keeps going on being a priest forever maybe he's still out there today from a human perspective right But in a real way, Jesus uh, is a priest forever in reality, where Melchizedek only gives the illusion of it. Jesus is a priest forever. There was no priest who was a priest forever before Jesus. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. We have a better hope in Christ. A better hope than, than we would have through the Old Testament sacrificial system. Verse 20, And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this, is, this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Where God is has said this about Jesus Christ. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now this is the, the point here of, of Hebrews just keeps sort of making us stare at the light. It's like for all, all the things that, that have, have gone on previous to the coming of Christ, Hebrews is saying, all right, all of this is, is to make you see what God is doing in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. And to help you uh, uh, see more clearly that God has sent His Son for you and the sufficiency of Christ and His sacrifice, the, the superiority of the hope that comes through Christ, the superiority of Christ's covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now, what does this mean? What, what is the, what, what is the uh, benefit, I guess, of Jesus being a priest forever? Verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
there's a part of this which uh, I feel at a, a, a loss for words even to go into the depths of because of the statement made here in verse 25 that Jesus, not only is he able to save to the uttermost, that is to with completeness, permanency at all times, through everything, entirely, he's able to save us. Um, those who draw near to him through Christ, to God through Christ. But he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, we sing a lot of songs and, and we, we talk a lot on uh, Easter about the resurrected Christ, that he lives. And here Hebrews is saying he continues to live as a priest forever, making intercession for us. What does that mean? Well, what is what is the role of, of a priest? It is to mediate, to advocate, to be an intercessor on, on behalf of man to God. What is Jesus continuing to do to this day? To be a mediator, an advocate, an intercessor on behalf of you to the Father. Let, I mean, just let yourself for a minute try to grab hold of that and understand that and soak it in a little bit. Right? You have people who pray for you, right? I know you do. Um, you may not know that you do, but you do. You have people who pray for you. There are some real prayer warriors who are praying for you. But they have to sleep. They have to do other stuff that takes their focus off of just praying for you all the time. But there is one who never stops praying for you, who never stops interceding for you to the Father. Jesus, your Savior, is always serving as your high priest. He is always on duty. Now his work of sacrifice, complete. It's done. That is, that is done. So there's no more sacrificing going on. That made, that's made clear in Hebrews. That part of the work is done. But Jesus is constantly now interceding for us to the Father. You know what that means? It means that when we run across passages like, I think about, well, how about 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 2, you know what it says about us? It says that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, how do we live like that? Because we have a great high priest who is always interceding for us. In 2 Peter then, it actually goes on to say that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His, very, to his own glory and excellence. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to a life and godliness. We're going to be asked to do some difficult things through our life. We're going to find some challenges along the way. We're going to find some some places that we're going to have to navigate through as believers that are going to be gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching, so so challenging that uh, it, those kinds of experiences where when we read Psalm 23, 
uh, we feel like we are that person going through the valley of the shadow of death. But we are never, ever set adrift by God alone. We always have Jesus Christ upholding us so that when previous to this we have a a passage here that says let us then draw let us then with confidence in chapter 4 draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need it's because you have a savior who is your high priest who is always on duty to be a help to you, to help you live the life that God has made, has made for you and called you to, and to arrive in eternity with Him. I'm going to double back to that in just a second, but let's continue on here, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. See, there's no other, I mean... If we went back to the Levitical priesthood system, the sacrificial system, there's just, it's always lacking. The sacrifice is never enough. The priests are never sufficient enough. Even themselves were, were sinners. But Christ is not like that. And it's fitting that we should have such a high priest. It's the only way that this works. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So we have a high priest, and we've hit on this before, that is so unique and superior that this high priest wasn't just taking other things and sacrificing them, but actually he himself was our sacrifice. And the only one who could do that, verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, referred to back up there in verse 21, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Complete forever. Now remember, do you remember, I I hope you do, because I keep harping on this because I don't want you to forget it. The two, two main points of Hebrews. First one is the biggest one. Do you remember it? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. And the second one flows out of that. And this is the message, the application through all of Hebrews is a call to, for, peop, for believers to persevere. Because Jesus is superior, we are called to persevere. Jesus is always there. He is always working on our behalf interceding for us, helping us. I want to look at a promise that Jesus actually made back in John chapter 14. The disciples didn't know, um, they didn't know what was going to hit them when Jesus was crucified and buried. 
and they didn't know what was going to happen, how life was going to change for them after he resurrected and ascended to heaven. Um, All of them were persecuted for, for walking with him, trusting in him, for preaching the gospel. Some of them pretty horribly. And they didn't know all of that was going to happen. Even though Jesus had promised them that life was going to be hard if they followed him. He also made a promise that trumps that one. And when I say trump, it doesn't mean that it negates it. I mean trumps in that this promise makes the other one able to deal with. So Jesus has promised that as believers we're going to go through hard stuff. We, that, that is possible because of what else he promises. Look at John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Remember what the end, how Matthew's gospel actually ends? Matthew chapter 28, the last words of Jesus there. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the promise that we have? That we have the presence of God in and with us through the Holy Spirit. It is, it, is, it is the Spirit of Christ right here with us, right now in us, working. So that makes persevering possible. It makes actually walking with Him through all these things in life possible. So where do we turn then when we hit those rough spots? When we hit trouble, when we hit hardship, when we hit temptation, when we hit persecution, when we hit spiritual battle. Where do we turn so that we don't lose heart and throw in the towel? We turn to him who saved us. Who continues to intercede for us to the Father. That's the deal here with, the, with Jesus being our high priest. It's not, it's, it's not somebody going through this through the rigmarole, swinging some smoke in the air and, and sacrificing a, a goat or a bull or something like that. It is one who has already made sacrifice and now he is constantly, constantly interceding for us and constantly available for our help. There is not a moment that you can be awake or asleep, for that matter, Dan, where God is not your constant help. You know, if you haven't given your life to Christ, what you will know, um, you will know more about the anxieties and the fears associated with, with life and the frustrations and the, the heartaches than you will know about the, the joy and, and um, the peace that comes from knowing that you have a sovereign God who is there every minute of the day that is going to help you through all of that. And 
message of Scripture is to turn to Him today. He would be yours today, your Savior, your Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness, and I'm just uh, I'm in awe of who You are. We have a Savior that is loves us so greatly that He would give His life for us. That His sacrifice is perfectly, uh, it's just sufficient to cover our sin, to forgive us of our sin. And, and that He Himself, our Savior, continues to, to intercede for us advocate for us to have our back to uphold us to strengthen us to equip us with everything we need um, to live the life that you've called us to to do the good works that you've called us to as believers and I just ask that Lord you would help us to see that more clearly each day that we would forever just cling to the hope that we have in you Pray for those who are here today who are going through difficult things, who are facing persecution of some sort, or who are going through um, a spiritual battle. Lord, I ask that you would help help turn their eyes upward, that they would see that the help that comes from heaven is greater than the challenge being posed to them from from your enemy. That your presence, the promise of your presence is is greater than the promise of the of facing hardship. That we we have such a sure Lord and Savior who hangs on to us. Lord, help us to walk in that with that hope and that strength that comes from you. Help us to be filled with your spirit along the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, as it starts out and uh, encourages us to finish the race by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, um, which makes sense. If you've, ever, if you've ever run a race, you know that, um, or, or uh, if you've ever been a farmer, you know that making a straight row, you don't make a straight row by keeping your eye on your front tire. You make a straight row by keeping your eye on a further destination down the way. And so it is in our walk with Christ that we, 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 make, we run this race. We, we make our course through this life by keeping our eyes fixed on Him. And the stuff that we encounter here is going to be tough. We're going to hit a lot of rough spots. We're going to have some real challenges that we're going to face. Some of them are going to be 
just just in our face persecution. Some of them are just going to be that we have bodies that break down. We we live among people who deal with their own stuff, and and so that happens. The cure for us, the help for us, is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And my hope for you is that um, that whatever you hear from God's word through me is that Jesus is so far superior and sufficient for you. He's never going to let you down. That hope will never disappoint you. He will never fail you. Never fail you. And I'm going to want to leave you with some words from Revelation because this is, um, this is the stuff we're going toward. And I saw no temple in the city, For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Remember as we went to Exodus and we saw the temple and then Hebrews says, you know all those things back there? They're they're just earthly representations of heavenly realities. We get to Revelation and it says, wait a minute, I don't see a temple. Why? Because it's the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb who is the temple, our temple. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, not, who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We have a future in glory. We have a Savior who fulfills his promises. He is faithful. He will see you through this. So persevere just like the saints of old here in Hebrews and those that even came before them, to persevere because we cling on to our hope in Him. Lord, bless and keep you.